All right, we are here, Erev Tubav, and um, we know Yom Aloha, Yom Tovim Yisrael. It's definitely, you know, it's been secularized in Eretz Yisrael in some way, but it is a day of Simcha, a day to, to actually step out of the Horvin, so to speak, that we had on Tisha B'Av, and look forward. Um, and I think that's part of, you know, even the the Korbanas that were brought in the Beis HaMikdosh on that day, there was, it was all a sense of of Bitochon and a sense of how the period had, we've moved on. And I think that really is very appropriate because that's really the theme of the Kloisenberger's life in some way. And um, how you move on without forgetting and still, as I wrote, you know, when I gave, when I sent out the invitation on the email, I said victory over Auschwitz. And that's definitely, as we're going to see, uh, something that the Kleisenberger's life and what he was able to establish and the people who continue to, 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 to work in his name are saying that's the biggest victory is the amount of Torah, the learning. Uh, yeah, yeah, the restoration. So the, so I'm going to get to the dedication in a second. It actually wasn't dedicated by anyone. Um, and no one actually spent the money on this, but it was actually um, given uh, to the fruish labor of Rabbi Shmuel ben Edel. Now, who is he? He's Rabbi Yo Shmurler. Shmurler is a very important person. He's a Rashiva. Um, he's already. It's, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Is it just long? Yeah. Rashmurler, of course, was the Rashiva in the Tanya. And he not only founded of the Rebbe Zetzal, but. I believe, in many ways, is part of what allowed the Rebbe to live with us the way he does. Because he worked, uh, Yankee, you have the horse rider sauce as a gift. That's for you. <laughs> Keep on saying that over and over. So, Rosh um was actually the one who worked with the Rebbe in writing, uh, the Divrayatsev, the, the Chuvas, the seven or eight volumes of Chuvas that, uh, uh, on, on that is part of, of course, the Bar Ilan response, and that everybody is quoting and working on. These trubas that the, the Rebbe wrote uh, were starting started to collect them in the last period of his life, uh, the period, the New Jersey period of his life, which we're going to talk about why he how that how that started, why he was in New Jersey. But Oshmurler was sort of his chavrusa and the person who worked with him, developing the ideas. Uh, the way they were in a very organized fashion. There are certain shumas of the Vriyatsev, and, I, and I, again, I've gone through many of them. We're going to go through pieces of it today. I've gone through many of them, but there are pieces that are almost, you know, the, the, which are the typical Polish Galiziana type of Harifus, and others which are almost like Avadi Yosef in terms of an encyclopedic article, exactly point by point by point. And I think that is Rav Shmurler's strength, that he harnessed the Rebbe's uh, incredible ideas and provided a background and a hekif to allow the Svarim to actually have the tzur that they have. So Shmurler himself was born in 1931, so he's already close to uh, 90 years old himself. Uh, he should have a Rafush Lema. I, again, I saw a picture of him. Uh, it was on, I was online, uh, him at the Kosel, uh, recently. Um, from last year or this year. And so therefore I dedicate the shirt to him because I think from the Kloisenberger himself, although as a personality 
and as stories about him would, and, and what he did was amazing, it's really the Divrayatsev, which is so much uh, a, an effort that Rashmurler worked together with the Kleisenberger, uh, that we actually have uh, the ability to posit him, not only as a great Sadiq who vanquished the Holocaust, but as actually someone, I have a good friend who says he's the only one who could, in his trubis, stands up to Ramesha in a way, and really can somehow, sometimes even go toe-to-toe in terms of Svaris and ideas. Because there are mentioned, he does mention in Gersmesha, and with, and with COVID that's due to him, the Divayatsev really represents a, again, it did not happen at the time. He wasn't someone that the world was turning to for Psak. If you look at the names of who he sent questions to, he wasn't like Ramesha uh, that everybody was turning to, he wasn't on the Mayetzes, he wasn't like the, the Shilas were coming in from all over, not like Rishon Azaman, and yet the quality of the questions and the way he wrote them, I think, represent at least for future generations the way that he joins the nets up of Kralisro in a way that he probably wouldn't have otherwise. So I think we dedicated to Rebbe Leo Shmuel Ben Edel Shmerler. And as I say here, and again, without, and I've made a little bit of a joke here, but it is trepidation and shuddering. Because we're talking about superhuman, uh, super, a life that is unimaginable and a survival and a strength that was almost superhuman in terms of what the Rebbe was able to do. Uh, the way he survived that year or so that he was in going from camps to camp, especially in Auschwitz. Um, the fact, of course, that uh, he lost his uh, 11 children, uh, one of them, Nebuch, of course, who survived the concentration camps but died in, from typhus in the, uh, the DP camp. Um, I think that the camp near Munich where he was, that first Yom Kippur, and I, I appended it to the email, and you can see there there's three or four different versions of that famous Yom Kippur. We'll read a little bit of it today. Um, I know my parents were in Munich, um, and I, know, I don't know if they arrived there for that Yom Kippur. So I don't know. You know I, I never heard my father speak about the Red or speak about that Yom Kippur, but I know that he was in Munich, and I know that was one of the camps that was near Munich. Um, and it, again, that incredible, and I'm going to speak a little bit of it, but I, again, I feel bound to the Kloisenberger from my parents. Um, they were not, he was not one of the couples that the Kloisenberger pushed to make a shit up with. They were married during the war already, uh, from before, but clearly when I, when I see the images and I hear the testimonials, of the, the, especially the women, about how the Kleisenberger was so influential in them continuing their lives, and even though they had lost everything to act as the Masada Kedushan and the big simchats of all the chasnas that were made there. So I feel a kesher to that as well, and I know many of us who are children of the Holocaust feel that way as well. Um, so we're going to start it. Okay, here's the joke. Please be mindful. It instead of the the New Jersey Giants, the New Jersey Giants. Um, thank you, Mark, for laughing. But the, a friend of mine, I actually spent about four and a half hours yesterday interviewing uh, two Williamsburg boys who grew up uh, in the same neighborhood as the Kleisenberger, uh, who played with uh, around and, and went to his yeshivas and camps and uh, whose parents worked for them. Um, so I, I'm going to be makrito to the two brothers from Nachum Yuni. Um, who is Rashiva of, uh, in Mexico. You might have heard of him. 
He was one of the MCs by the Rav Aaron Kuffler extravaganza a couple of years ago, Rav Menachem Uni. Uh, and his brother, uh, Dr. Professor uh, Sam Uni, Sam Juni, Shmuel Yunan. So they were actually very close. And, and I, the, the, a lot of what I'm going to say here in terms of the history is not based on the Wikipedia articles or the, the movie, the beautiful movie called Oscar Panay, that I was telling Hilly about, that is available online for free. It's a movie in Hebrew and in Yiddish. Uh, it's really great. I can send you the link to that. Um, it's based on really people who knew him. And, 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 and uh, one of them, uh, Dr. Juni, said to me that he remembers how they were kids and they would dive in right behind the Kloisenberger. And, of course, they would push around where his chair was. And he says one thing that he still remembers when he was a little boy, the Kloisenberger looking at him, and he was sort of like scuttling around the little Holocaust surviving boy, you know, and the Kloisenberger said, me, <laughs> you, know, you know, get in line. So New Jersey, New Jersey Giants, really played us safe for him. Again, we take a look at that, right? Um, you, again, if anybody would be Plato, say Plato, would have to be the Kleisenberger Rebbe. Sheres HaPlato was a term that we're all very familiar with, but he actually, that was his stamp. Um, as uh, After his survival, one of the things he did in those two years, and we talk about, you know, were there Kleisenberger Hasidim? You know, again, Kleisenberg was a small town. He was the, uh, they definitely had Hasidim. I uh, definitely had a group, but the people who were Kloisenberg after the war weren't people from Kloisenberg. They were people who came from all over Europe who had a Hasidish event who basically their redness and their families had been crushed. They became Kloisenberg because of what he was during the Holocaust, what he was in the camps, and more so, more than even the amazing physic that he gave to the people that he was in the camps with, was when the collection of shattered Jews arrived in those couple of years, he was an incredible motivating force. You know, again, if, if there was a, a certain sense, I have pictures of my father, Ola Shalom, and I know there was a certain sense of saying, that's it, we're not going to be at the Yiddish guy. There was a sense of, you know, whatever that life was, I don't know, but the, 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 the smoke of uh, the crematoria were still in people's lungs, and there was still this idea of, I don't know what the world is. And the Kloisenberger, with his, the force of his personality and the, and, and the fact, the pedigree of his suffering, uh, which everybody knew, allowed him entrance with love and understanding to, to m- many of the camps and to strengthen and to keep on saying, you know, you didn't, don't lose Amuna, don't lose it. We're going to rebuild, we're going to have a yeshiva. And of course, they had the Kailo, Sherazah Pleita Kailo in the DP camp. Sherazah Pleita Cheder. Um, and when we talk about Pleita, please, from Pleita Seifreyam, you know, Allah Tzadikim Allah Chasidim, Alzikam Chaveis Yisrael. Now, he was definitely uh, uh, not just saying we're going to do things new, but we're going to, whatever is left is still alive, and it's still possible to reestablish. And it's incredible, because here you have people just months away from being a, a bone, a skeleton, dying, and now they were already thinking about themselves in the yeshiva and the cheder. Um, yes, whether they had svarim, whether they had what they needed, when you look at those pictures, and you can see them in this video, um, again, we don't have enough time really to show you all these pictures and to analyze them. I was thinking I should just get everybody in here and just show them the movie. <laughs> that's, that's enough. They don't need my drosha. But I do want to do, but there's a reason why I didn't do that. But if you watch that movie, you'll see the pictures. 
and the pride that they had. Um, I think that I, I think that that magnetism, and it actually it affected in, a, in an incredible way the women. Um, if you look at the girls' schools that he started there in the camps and the women that were close to him, he gave a sheer, of course, uh, to these women uh, in Imuna. And even as Kloisenberg went on to Netanya and they, even perhaps here in America as well, he wrote, uh, he wrote these Maimarim for women every week. Um, and he kept close to these girls. He kept close to them uh, in a way that you wouldn't expect from a tzaddik and a kodesh and a rebbe. True, he, they were behind the Mechitza when he gave the shear and he didn't necessarily look at them, but he cared about each one. They came and spoke with him. Um, the story of, uh, that's appended to the email of the Yusoyimah who came to the Kleisenberger Rebbe on that day of Yom Kippur and just asked for a brocha as if she was missing her father. The Kleisenberger was ready to fill that, 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 uh, that vacuum. Um, and there's no question about it that the, uh, after the, the end of the Every girl once, once right. they heard that. Right, right. Every girl, once they heard he gave the bracha, there was a line of women ready to come in. Thank you. To come in each one. And, and, and then instead of the Kleisenberger usually like being misbeided as he was. Again, I, I heard his davening. I, I, I'll talk about my story in a couple minutes. But he might have been the greatest davener, as Rabbi Menachem Yuni said, of the, of the generation. The, uh, without any pretensions to actually call out the tata, to actually call out... Um, we all sort of go through our paces and davening and our minds wander and Kleisenberger in terms, uh, there was no question about it, that this was not an act. This was authentically connecting. And I think that was part of the magnetism. It was unusual. And and, and, and people don't realize, um, and I, I, we're going to get into some, it's going to sound like politics, but that the, <laughs> that part of what created that that magnetism to him and allowed him to sort of have this terrible success, meaning success based on the terror that had occurred, was the fact that people saw him as the hero of the Holocaust, the Rebbe, the person. And when he, you know, he actually came to America before the Satmar rose. <laughs> and when we say, oh, Williamsburg, well, that's where Satmar showed up, right? And Satmar is going to change this, you know, American type of place. You know, everybody knows the... Um, the famous Piscum, you know, that the Satmarov came to America in 1947. And uh, the first shop as he walked the streets of uh, of Williamsburg and, you know, and somebody uh, screamed out, you know, semi screamed out and said, you know, Satmarov, you know, Satmarov, you're going with your chsidim and you're walking with your whole chsidish regalia. That's not what we do here in America. So he said, oh, du machst kalia America. So he said, I, I ruined the story. Du machst Kali America. You're making America. You're ruining America. He says, Ich mach nicht Kali America. Kali America. I'm not doing it yet, but it's going to happen. Meaning the America that we've talked about in these classes, the antithetical America, the chinuch, the learning, the prumkite, the America that was afraid to be out there uh, and showing religiosity in the greatest extent. Uh, he says, I'm going to change that. So, and, and rightly so. There's no question about it that the Sakharov eventually becomes that captain. Uh, and even the other Gedola Yisro, uh, like Armesh and others, uh, there's a, a certain teamwork that occurs uh, in the late 40s, early 50s. Again, there was also always Sukhim, but there was an understanding that he was a, a certain primal force. The Lavatras also, of course, were in there. The Kleisenberger, it's interestingly, it, again, 
he had that, that, that glorious moment, and he came to America first, and he came to Williamsburg, and uh, he built, you know, the, he had a chassid who had a building that the chassid, the person would be close to him, say, I, I can make some money, I can have a, uh, I can have a, um, uh, I'll build a, a supermarket here, he said, well, maybe a bit of a smedrish, <laughs> and maybe this will be our base smedrish, and he engaged in fundraising, and there was the beginning of the Kleisenberg Meistus before the Satmar Meistus actually came. When the Satmar Rebbe eventually, uh, why did the Satmar Rebbe come to uh, America, and why did the Kleisenberg Rebbe come to America? Oh, sorry, as well. Ah, so yeah. the, the, after the fact, people say the Kleisenberger always was going to go to Eretz Yisrael. Um, it's based on, again, you know, the Kleisenberg himself said it, so I'm not going to deny that it was true, because he said it many, many times, that he had made a shvua uh, when he was wounded in the camp, that he would eventually, uh, if the Rabbi Shalom would give him his life and allow him to live, that he would dedicate himself not just to being a tzaddik and a chosin, but actually to create a, uh, a, a, a moisad dedicated to saving lives. And that's where, whether he said, I'm going to build a hospital or not, but I think that's where the rioting was. That I'm not just, it's not just going to be we're going to go fight there. That, that what I, my life is going to be dedicated to the greatest mitzvah of, of, of saving human lives, which would be a hospital. And that's where the idea of, of the Lineato Hospital, the hospital in, 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 in the Tanya, the Sans Hospital, uh, takes off. Supposedly fulfilling a promise that he had made to the Rabbani Shalom, uh, in terms of his life. So, why did he go to America, not go to Eretz Yisrael? So supposedly he went to America in '46 after he had done some work. That it was a way, like everybody goes to America to make some money, right? Because he realized Eretz Yisrael was still a little bit primitive, and by coming to America and by connecting to people and connecting to the rich Americans uh, and the cousins and the relatives of Nebuch, the people from the Shayana that he would be able, and you can take a look, it's actually true, if you look on the Lignato Hospital, you can see the donations of every single wing, Joe, Vivian, it's all written out in Hebrew, but you can see that it's donated by American Menadvin, that the Kleisenberg, Rebbe, and others from his, see them were able uh, to, to, to be able to get Menadvin. Um, I have to tell you, when I watched the movie, it, it, it really, it, it, it really, Caused me uh, to remember, which I, I didn't forget it. But there was a there was a uh, there was a shot of the maternity ward, and my uh, oldest grandchild was born in that maternity ward. Um, you know, that was really a byproduct of, of what the, the Kleisenberg Rebbe. Um, my my point really is is that as things normalized, um, people started to leave. The, the, the Kleisenberger Rebbe. It's not that people abandoned him, but the type of popularity and magnetism as the Shoah receded, although that's the he wasn't trying to, to, for people to dwell on it, and it became a question of Hanhoga day in and day out. The Satmarov became, for the Chesidah Sha'olim, even for people who had been up to this point connected to the Rebbe, a more viable option. <clears throat> he was, in a way, a little more organized and a little more uh, what was considered, although he didn't have the pedigree, 
he didn't suffer as much as the, he didn't lose eleven children. Samarov did lose three daughters, but they weren't they weren't killed in the Holocaust. He had daughters that died in childbirth and were ill. He didn't end up having any sons, as we know. But the, the what? What? He had four daughters. No, no, he left no children. Right, he left no children. He had three daughters that oh, died, oh, oh, oh. but they weren't. They weren't. I believe. I have to look it up. I, I don't want to misspeak. I don't think that they were killed in in the Shoah. And so, so his story was not as dramatic as what happened. He was not beaten half to death, and you know he had to run up. You know the story, which is of course true, that the, you know there was in, in Auschwitz, or that one of the things the Nazis Yimachshimam did was they would have their fun. You know they would ask the the, the, the the Jews to to they would build up a hill and ask the Jews to carry, you know heavy items on top of their back and and run up the hill. And of course if you you know if you if you swerved or you didn't go straight up, they'd shoot you. So this was their fun. That supposedly was a way to show strength, whatever. Um there was a a Jew who uh, emigrated to Eritro, a, a Russian fellow, uh who survived the war. And he met a, 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 he met a, a, a from fellow in Eretz Yisrael, and they were talking, and he started telling him that he had been in Auschwitz, and he said, "Well, you know, did you ever say Shema Yisrael? Did you ever say anything?" He says, "No, I never did anything." Do you do it now? He says, "No, I'm here, but you know, I don't have anything." He says, "You don't you don't even know the pasuk Shema Yisrael?" He asked him. He says, "No." He says, Let me think. I do know one pasuk though. Tachas Asher Le'avadat Hashem Olekim B'Simcha. So the, the Rav asked this Russian Jew, this emigrate there to Israel, he said, you don't know Kriya Shema. You can't even say the word Shema Yisrael. But that, but, but that Pasuk from the Tochad, he said, he says, I don't even know what it means, but I know that one. He says, how do you know it? He said, because I was in Auschwitz. And he says, I'm, thank God, still a healthy guy, and I was able to survive. I remember there was this, there was this other fellow that was also running up, and he was a fellow, I guess, close to forty years old. He was broken down. And he looked like he could barely move, but he was able to keep on running up that hill over and over again. And I heard him whispering to himself, mumbling to himself, like he was like almost singing a song. So I said to him, you know, what are you saying? And he listened, and he said he was saying, "Tachas Asher and it turned out that, of course, that person who was doing that was Rabbi Kutel Yehuda Halberstam, uh, was the cousin of Rabbi himself, who, like a superhuman, as I said, kept himself going with a Pasuk that said, I I understand why the Yisurim are happening. I understand why the Teicha is happening. Because we didn't serve the Rabbi Yisrael enough Basimcha, and as this is going on, I'm still saying it, I'm being makabal the Gzardim, and I'm still thinking about you, God, and that allowed him to be able to, to go up that hill. Um, so these true stories, like I said, uh, people <coughs> felt enormously attracted to them. Um, and when the Sabinarov came to, to Williamsburg in 47, well, this was his uncle from his first wife, the Kleisenberger's first wife. He married the niece of the Sabinarov. Sabinarov's older brother was called Etzachayim of Sigit. And uh, he was considered a great tzaddik and a chosin himself. You've heard of him, the Etzachayim. His younger brother, Rabbi Elish, was a Sabinarov. Sabinarov was, therefore, about 20 years older and basically the uncle 
of the Kleisenberger. I mean, he was a cousin from other ways too, but he was also the uncle of his first wife. So, he said, I've made some things here. I'll make you the Nosi. In other words, you'll be the Nosi. I'm about to myself. I, we've started. Let's work together. You'll be the Nosi of, of the, um, you'll be the Nosi of all my moistus. Masatmarov said, you know, listen, you think I'm going to be the Nosi if you, like, ich bin, ich will sein der alte Terach. In other words, I'm going to be like, in other words, you're the Abraham Avinu who's doing all this stuff, but I'm just going to be the Nosi, like with a, you know, you're going to give me like a uh, ceremonial post. Asaprav was already 60 years old at that time. But he said, ain't happening. He says, we're going to do our own thing. And from that time on, there was a tremendous amount of enmity shown by the Satmar Chassidim to the Kloisenberg Chassidim. And again, as I said, there was also a, a shift sociologically of where the Hasidic Jews were. And Satmarov sort of, you know, rightfully so, began what he was doing. And the Kloisenberger really at that time, um, he wasn't, again, people were not coming to him with the Shilas, and the Chassidim were sort of, in a sense, he still had, you know, Satmarov would have a thousand people in his shul on Shabbos, and the Kloisenberger would have 150, 200, and again, and and part of it was also, you know, the Gedolim themselves know how to act covenant to each other. Unfortunately, the Chassidim don't. And the Chassidim Yosatmer eventually started you know, uh, making crank phone calls, calling the fire, uh, calling the fire department, uh, to the Kloisenberger Hevra in Williamsburg. And it seemed clear at that point that, uh, the, the, the Kloisenberger said, okay, you know what, we're gonna leave, we're gonna get our moisters together. He already had planted some seeds in Eric's Israel, and then in the mid-50s and towards the end of the 50s, he it was enough already, he was going to make Aliyah. There's tremendous in this movie again, uh, there's tremendous, uh, newsreel footage of him arriving in Eretz Yisrael. Maybe you already know. And then of course, uh, um, and he had somehow had enough money and the foresight to say, we're not going to, you know, they said, we go to Bnei Brak, you know, that's, we've already got to see this place there. We have Yerushalayim. He says, no, we're going to go someplace new. We're going to go to a place near Netanya. And that's where he came up with the, he felt this would be his own, uh, Shetach. And this is where the beginning of, 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 of Kiryat Sans began. Now, Sans, of course, he wasn't Sans Zerov. <laughs> he wasn't the Rebbe of Sans. He was the Rebbe in a city called Kloisenberg, which was a, a city in Galicia. Now it's part of the Ukraine, I think. But Sans, of course, was his great, uh, great grandfather, the Devechaim. His father was a great grandson. So he was a great, let's see, uh, Divrachaim's son is Rebaruch, Rebaruch's son was the, right, so his father was a great-grandson, I might be getting it wrong, or maybe he might have been a great-grandson, I have to look it up, but the Sanzarov in the Chesidah was considered the greatest. Uh, why was he the greatest? Well, there were many great Chesidah uh, at the end of the 19th century, but the Sanzarov was considered the one who had it all. He had the mind of a Litvisha guy. He was his Pesachim were, were, he was someone who actually the world came to, even the Nazi-Nish world came to, for, to answer Shilas and Shuvas. Even today, if people want to look at fundamental questions, he's some of, he's one of the most fundamental places to look. And, you know, the, 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 the Kleisenberger Rebbe, 
part, it, it was Bekavoni calls him Kiryat Sanz. And he's, he is really, in a way, the second Tzantzer, because the Tzantzer's own children actually, there were Sunday, they, they actually called themselves other names from the other cities they were at. But he saw himself as really reflecting back to the greatest, uh, which was, you know, Ben Achaben from the, from the, from the Tzantzer of. He, of course, was also an anical of the, of the, of the Bnei Sosfer from his mother's, uh, side, you know, I mean, again, Yachson, he had it really, he could, anybody that was great was, was part of it, but Tzanz was important, because that meant greatness in Torah, primarily. Kiryat Tzanz was dedicated to the idea of, of learning. The same way nobody was going to say, Tzanz Arov's a tzaddik. No, he's a good. No, in other words, the Tzanz Arov, Rav Chaim Halberstam, you know, he, he was an Adim, of course, by Rabarach Tam, who was one of the big Gedele Yisrael, um, and he could measure up, you know, this, again, this is sometimes an exercise in futility, but when you speak about the great Chassidish who were great Ga'odnim in learning and could measure up, there's about five or six names that you would say. Obviously, the Alter Rebbe, you know, the, the first Lubavitcher Rebbe has to, has to be mentioned. Uh, you have to mention today, of course, everybody... You can't learn Kodshim or Moed without the Svasemis. And Svasemis, uh, 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 right? Um, and what? That's the Kotzker. From the Kotzker, from the Kotzker significance of the significance of learning Torah. But you would have to say that Rechaim, the different Rechaim, isn't just, oh, he was a great Sadik. Oh boy, those Trubas are incredible. Part of what the Kleisenberger wanted to, to establish, and again, I throw in, you throw in the Avinezer as well. Um, so those are great Rebbes who also, every single Litvisha person who's working on any subject is going to use their ideas. Part of the Kleiserberger Rebbe was trying to do by establishing Kiryat Sans was saying this is going to be a, a flowering of, 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 of what, what we had. This is in the spirit of Rechaim Sans or the spirit of my grandfather. And that's why in Eretz Yisrael, when you say Kloisenberg, they don't even know what you're talking about. When, when I, it's true. When you go to Eretz Yisrael, when you say Kloisenberg Rebbe, oh, you mean Sanz Rebbe. What? Like, right. But they, the word Kloisenberg is almost like, what? What is that? Whereas here in America, he was known almost primarily as Kloisenberg. Although the Meisters that in Jersey City are called Meisters of Sanz. If you take a look here at the Kleisenberger's Tzavo, take a look what it says here, and I, and I, and I want to be Makayim what he says here. It says, Ikar Shebikar, I tried this morning to find the complete Tzavo. He died in 1994. The Ikar a couple, you know, we're close to his yard site. Ikar Shebikarim Litoibas Nishmosi. Shem Yoidimimeni Ezechidish Betayra Kadoisha Emes. That if you know, that's what I want. If you know some Chidish that I said in Teira, that's true. Lafarsma Bishmi to actually publicize and say this is a Kloisenberger Stickle Torah. Say it. Balamdim Israel and to teach it. That's what he wants. Um, so I'm going to get to that. Uh, but I, I feel I just want to explain well, how did he end up here in Union City? Hilly uh, mentioned that he was taken by his, um, his uh, Rebbe to see him. Uh, when I was 17 years old, um, I didn't look like this, although I had a, you know, I had some, something of a beard growing. But I had payas that were down, um, very long payas. I used to have to, um, when I didn't want to wear them long, I used to tie them up, uh, under my yamaka. Uh, on my very first date, uh, uh, it was pretty funny because I was trying to keep them, 
you know, under my yarmulke properly, but that was, you know, they were falling out. Um, you know, it's hard to do, really. I guess if you're, if you're not born, like, acting like a chassan or living like a chassan, it's hard to keep the kakaiz of the face. But I was, you know, and I was dedicated. I wasn't going to shave, and I was going to have a long... But again, to me, the chassidish shederach avoidah, I, I, you know, my father had it when he was young, but I really experienced it when I came there to throw. And I saw the way the stolen Arsidim lived. I saw the way, again, that's another example, Carlin stolen, you know, in, uh, in, in Eretz Yisrael, it's Carlin Arsidim. In America, it's stolen. It's really the same people, but. What? Right. So it, it's sometimes confusing, but I was convinced, I, I am not, this, I might be in America, but this is the life I want to lead. So my good friend, uh, Rabbi Yuni, I mentioned before said, you know what? Maybe you should be connected to a real Rebbe, to the Koizenberger Rebbe. So on Sukkis, uh, in, uh, in, uh, I guess it was 1977 or 78, I think it was either 78 or 79, it wasn't later than that, um, I was staying uh, in uh, Farakaway, and I didn't have a car, and I was said, I've got, I've got to go see the Kloisenberger Rebbe. Now, you know where Farakaway is. It's at the end of the line. That's like the last stop of the, the old A train, right? The last stop. And I somehow I had to get to, at that time, when I was, uh, you know, the wilds of New Jersey, like, you know, which I, again, I was not living here, wasn't familiar with it. And I had to go through a whole jumble of, of, of buses and trains and, and Penn stations and paths. I don't know what it was. Somehow I was able to find, like, like the directions were like five pages long. I didn't finally get to this place in Hudson County. And it wasn't, you know, people, people think, well, the Kleisenberger had, had, uh, had Union City, uh, just like the Sotmarov had Monroe. Uh, that's not true. <laughs> it wasn't meant to be like a suburban place for the Sedum to move out of. Uh, you've been to Union City. Yeah, okay. Union City, if you look it up on Wikipedia, is the second most uh, densely populated city in the whole United States. It's not exactly the big spread. Um, it's known as Havana on the Hudson. And, 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 and the Kloisenberger only came there in the early 70s. That's when he came there in 72. Why did he leave Eretz Yisrael? And, and, and why did he, right? Um, I came to see him, and it was, by the time I got there, I left like 9 in the morning after davening. And by the time I got there, it was 2.30 in the afternoon, okay? That's how long it took me to go through public transportation. But to me, I had heard of this incredible tzaddik, this incredible Eben Hashem. And it wasn't like there, like the Satmarov or others that there would be hundreds of, maybe thousands of people stopping you having a relationship. This was someone that there was, it was small enough that you could have a connection to a true tzaddik. At that time, I, w- I wanted to have a connection to a true tzaddik. So I came into the, uh, the Kleisenberg of Smedish, and uh, the Rebbe was sitting on the, by the Omud, by the Bima, where they laid the Torah, and he was sitting in a big chair. He wasn't standing. He was clear. What? This was on the Chalmud? Chalmud. And he had the Dalit Minim in his hand, and he was saying, Halil. And I remember, again, his Nanuit. It was 33 o'clock, right? So he was, um, he was saying, you know, again, I, 
And here I, you know, again, I, it, was, it was built up in my mind, and I was like in heaven. Like here I saw, and not even that shit, doesn't make difference what time was. I had already met the option of a Rebbe in Israel. Times didn't mean anything. But here was someone talking to God. God was here in that room, and this man with his history and his tzitkas was, was talking to the Tata. He was talking to God. And the Dalaminim were his means of, of connecting. And again, I, I stood as close as I could because this was the closest I ever gotten to the. You know, I've been there to try. I'd seen the Belzarebbe, I'd seen others, but here was someone of a different caliber. Um, afterwards, you know, the, the Musaf, and I went into the base Medrash to open up a safer, and I saw that there was a. Um, I saw that some of the chassidim were mulling around, and you can tell when people aren't happy that you're in a room with them. <laughs> uh, you can tell that people aren't happy. And a six- or seven-year-old boy uh, came over to me. Speak their mind. What? They speak their mind. <laughs> and he said to me, Who's this Afghan cup? So he said, this is of my cup. You're asking what I have on my head. I said, "This is a kapulich. It's a yarmulke." He says, "This is the shkan This is a shvartzazach. It's some black thing that you have on your head." I said, "Who's dressed in there?" I said, "A basketian sitting here." He says, "I'm dressed there." I say, "Because he laughed when the rebbe davened." Because I'm laughing when the rebbe is davening. They thought that I came as some sort of cynical, you know, uh, person. I was, I was besimcha. My laughter was not laughter. It was, it was tainu that I finally met the real McCoy. I didn't say it. I was, it was like a, it was like a knife was stabbed in me. And then I saw that he was just the agent of the, of the Kloisenberg of Siddim, who, who knew that their Rebbe, had been attacked, that their Rebbe was, was uh, as great as he was. Remember, why were they in Union City? They were in Union City because that was a place to go. They couldn't go back to Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, they left Williamsburg because, again, this is not a politics class, but again, they didn't feel the Satmarov had, whether it was him personally or his chassidim, they made life miserable. He went there at Yisrael. Now, part of one of the things that Satmar Ravan was in was that the, that the Kloisenberger met with Ben-Gurion, as you know. You know that, right? So the Kloisenberger, when, ben, when, when Kloisenberger met with Ben-Gurion when he came there, Ben-Gurion said to him, what do you expect from here? You know, you're a Rebbe, you're a Tzaddik. What do you expect to be able to, um, to, to accomplish here? So the Kloisenberger said to him, well, I'll tell you, I have a minimum and I have a maximum. I tell you what the minimum is. The minimum is that we're going to have a place where we're going to live here. It's Natanya. It's beautiful. We have the ocean. We're going to come on Shabbos or during the week, and we're going to walk in the streets. We're going to walk like we're going to walk like religious Jews, and nobody is going to be able to hurt us. No one is going to stop us. We're going to be able to walk, and and and, and, and which we never had anywhere else. 
okay? He says, that's the... And, and what's the... And, and, and yeah, and he says, and we're going to go in our Steinloch, and we're going to go with our Reklach, and that's what we're going to do. Okay. So then Ben-Gurion asked him, so, and what's the maximum? He says, the maximum is that you're going to be wearing a <laughs> Anyway, the point was is that whereas Satmar preached complete disconnect from the Medina, the Kloisenberger and his agents worked with the Medina. They worked consistently to get the city built. He had to. And he therefore was labeled as a tzioyne, as someone who was, that, that he really was a secret uh, tzioyne. And of course, the tzioyne and the satmer were the people that were the new tzedukim, they were the new kaifrim, they were worse than the reform, they were worse than everyone, because they were, they were um, positing a strong, a, a type of thing that looked from and Jewish, so to speak, but was really worse. Now, there's reform, any person could say, oh, come on, that's not a Yiddish guy. But they, dressing it up in terms of Abbas Eretz Yisrael, can make a case and quote my Mari Chazal out of context, it's not the soccer talking, not me, that therefore, so therefore, it was the newest danger. So anybody that works with them and talks with them, and, and right, is clearly tainted by them. And therefore, this was something that was a, a tremendous uh, issue. So I asked my good friends, I said, so why did he leave Eretz Yisrael then? Williamsburg was not an AIDS, and things did go great there. Again, it took a while for the for the hospital we built, but eventually, and there were people there just like today saying, oh, the Haredim are taking over, but eventually things worked out. Jobs were created in Atania for Chassidisha people in a firm way. Again, they, Kleisenberger made good on his on his promise about the hospital and and, and, and affecting people to avoid us Hashem and and for the doctors to realize they he says I don't want people to to care about curing a disease I want them to cure the patient that's what he said was was most crucial it's not about developing it's not like the other hospitals that you might have in Israel where where they are developed which is true could cure people I want them to feel the love and connection to the people there, and I want them to know that the biggest mitzvah, that's what he said at the hakamas of the, um, um, of the of the hospital. It's interesting, just parenthetically, when they saw him working for this hospital, some of the leaders of the city, and Natanya said, Rebbe, look, this is a good idea. Well, let's try to work together, we'll raise the money, and you'll come in and you'll be the rabbi of the hospital, you'll make sure everything is kosher, he says, you'll put the mezuzah on, so the Kosenberger Rebbe said, I think maybe that's a good idea, but the opposite. <laughs> he said, I'm going to build it. I'm going to make sure we're going to get the right people that we want over here. And I'll tell you, when, we, when we're when we about to start, we'll call you in and we'll give you the COVID <laughs> of putting the mezuzah on. Um, so the question is, why did he leave? I've asked, I, I, this was because... Did he, or did he kind of go back and forth? Okay, so we, if, officially, he, though we still connected and the yeshivas were still there, officially he's going back. And that's where he came to Union City. Why did he go? I've heard a couple of theories. Some say, and, and some of his truvists indicate this, when he talks about the Xeris that are happening, in a, and he writes these truvists in the 70s and 80s, and he's talking about Xeris against Jews. And I, I'm not sure what he means, but I think there might have been a sense of... A, a lack of security, even in Eretz Yisrael. There was a 67 war, the 73 war. There was a sense that maybe things weren't as safe 
there were supposedly people that were pushing to go back. I don't have the answer. I do know that Hudson County, Union City, uh, the, the place that was already, you know, much more Hispanic uh, than it was Jewish, eventually becomes the place that this Rebbe comes. Um, and that's where, like I said, he built, the, you know, they had the two, the girls' school and the boys' school. Um, it's interesting, again, I looked it up on the Internet. You guys could find it yourself as well. But as late as 2010, the official chaplain of Union City, a city of 66,000 people, is one of the official chaplain of the city is, is, the, is one of the Kleisenberger chassidim there. Um, I have to say that even though um, I was um, sort of ejected <laughs> from the Kleisenberger, I, I think I took a page out of his own book, which was the same way during the Holocaust he said, you know, Tata, you're... You seem to hate us. You seem to give us stars upon him, but I'm still going to be dovic in you. Uh, I still felt that I couldn't get physically close to him. Uh, I couldn't become one of the Hasidim by the time you know I got older. He passed away in '94, um, but I still felt I want to be dovic to him. And you know, as as a dovic, so as the Kleisenberger refused to give up on the Rebbeinu show, I refused, despite the treatment that I got there, in the sense that you know. I, I tried to understand it as a Hastaras Ponim. And I've tried, and again, to, to try to learn him up if I can. I do want to get the one of our tire from him, because that's what he wants. So let's go to um, this one, then. Um, one of the things that, uh, one of the things that, um, that we all probably, we figure out what should we do on Tisha B'Av, um, and the Kleisenberger Rebbe, you know, dealt with this issue of learning Torah and Tishavov. Now, we all know you can learn many of the, uh, of the sorrowful points that are in the, in the, in the Vim, Teichachov, uh, Dvorim Aroyim. The Kleisenberger Rebbe clears the shy, but what does this mean? You know, I mean, one person wrote him a, a, gave a certain Akron that said, but on Tishavov, there really is no mitzvah of learning Torah. Chazal, the same way they can take away the mitzvah of, of Shoifer on Shabbos, Chazal have the ability to ma'akar a mitzvah b'shev al-tasen. They had it, they felt it was necessary. And therefore, they took away the mitzvah of learning Torah on Tishavah. I, you do learn on Tishavah. You're able to learn Eo, Yirmiya, various hilchas avelos. So, Zachreinim say, it's a heter. In other words, it's a rishus. There's no mitzvah. A person is not bound with a mitzvah on, on learning Torah and What it is, is a right to learn other things, but it's not that you're makayim the mitzvah of Talmud Torah. In other words, it's not like, oh, I have to learn Torah today, this is what I need to do. Really, Torah is usher to learn, because Torah is essentially simcha. But you have the right to learn these things, because these things are, are, are painful. So therefore... And even though it's technically tired, there's no kiyam mitzvah. The Kloiserberger says that's illogical. There's no such thing when it comes to Torah as a rishus. He he understands there probably are shittas that all like he brings from Hilchas Avedos that it's usher because it's what Yecheskel was told. Anakdo, in other words, he was told that uh, that the Avedos. Remember, Yecheskel's wife died, and that was supposed to be the symbol of. The Avelis that Klal Yisrael was going to have. In other words, everybody knew that, and, and he said, your Avelis is going to be the marshal of, I mean, it was Yirmiya, right? 
Yermio, right? Tanat Don. That you're going to be the marshal of, I might be speaking it wrong, that you're, I think it's Yermio. Yermio, I'm sorry. Yermio's Avelus was going to be the Avelus that was the symbol for everybody else. So one of the, so he says, in some ways you're going to be a noble, some ways you're not. Right? So he says, Hanat Dom, no talking in Torah. It's got to be silent, nothing. So there is such a sheet in Hilchas Avelus that an Abel is also in learning. And therefore, when they when they learn in an Abel's house during the Shiva, he should not be part of that learning. He shouldn't sit there. And the Gesher Chaim Paskins like that, uh, says the Abel should go in another space. He should not be listening. You can learn Le'ili Nushmasai, but there's an Isra of Limanat, there's an Isra of Limanat Torah of the base Abel. So some say in Tishabav as well that there's an Isra of Limanat. So he says, the Klesenberg says, I understand that, but then everything should be also. If you're going to be matir limerateira, like we hold, that you're allowed to learn these things, you can't tell me that, that there's no mitzvah, this is what you're allowed to do. He says, in learning Torah, there aren't two possibilities. It's all, it's either a mitzvah or not. I agree that you can't learn the things that make you happy. But the abundant, if you hold not like that shita, then there's got to be a mitzvah of Talmud Torah. And I think this this idea of the Kleisenberger that and, and Rabbi Yosef, by the way, says the same thing. He says, despite the fact that the Rishonim would say differently, and, and I think there's a parallel between Chacham Avadi and the Kleisenberger that way, the Abbas Nathir that they had, um, that but but therefore he then deals with an interesting point, which is he says the minute the Ramah brings on erev Tishabov, not to learn, right now the Mishnah Bruah bristles at this. The Taz already said, well, are people just going to walk around and battle? Right? And, the, and, and so the, 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 the Mogan Abram says, well, they can learn uh, stuff that they can learn on Tisha but they can learn on Arab Tisha B'Av after Chatzais. The Mishnah quotes the Maimur Mordechai that says, well, people hate learning that. People don't enjoy that. People want to learn what they like to learn. And you're going to end up with people not learning. So therefore, the Mishnah Bura says, I, 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 I know what the Bhagavad Gita says, but I think that there's nothing wrong with, with learning on, on Erev Tishabov. Yeshal Mishpach, and he actually encourages people to learn on Erev Tishabov, especially if, what else they, if they're going to be Mavatal otherwise. The Kleisenberger, with his great love of Torah, was matzik the minig of the Ramon, the Mogan Avram, not to learn on Erev Tishabov. He says, you know what? He says, because... It hurts. You're right. The Maimur Mordechai is right. It's frustrating. I can't learn today. What am I doing? An Arab teacher. But this is teaching me. He says, the reason why we lost the Beis HaMikdash, we talked about Sinas Chinam, he has other Medrashim, that we lost it because we didn't learn. So by not learning and feeling the pain of not learning, we actually realize how Torah could have done it. So he says, similar, he says, he's matzik the minig of Sinam not to learn on, on Nittal. Right, we know that he's very big on that. That you don't learn the day on Christmas Eve because he says, "But why we shouldn't learn? Because if we'd been learning more, we wouldn't have had to suffer from the from the Christian world. Maybe by going through this lack of learning, right? So even on one end, he says there's definitely a mitzvah, but sometimes we need to realize that if we that that it's our lack of learning that brought the korban." And by suffering in that, we realize, he says, also, it also tells us something else. That when we don't learn on Arab Tishabov, maybe on Tishabov as well, it's sending a message, the Kozenbeer said, that the, what we're waiting for in the Geula is the chance to learn Torah properly. It isn't to have our own country, it isn't necessarily to have our own Medina, but it's actually to be able to, 
to have a place where we can learn. So when we're not learning here, we're frustrated in our learning. He says it's actually a message about what we could have done to stop the Chorban and how what we want of new, our, our favors to bring us, which is a place where Torah learning can can be the greatest possible thing it can be. He mentions when the Shiloh came up in Union City, the Bochum came out on Shabbos, was Tishabov, just like this year. And the question was, the Bochum would learn every after, every Shabbos afternoon. So should they have their Seder or not? So the Koizenberger says, Avada, they should. Because when, if there's a, supposed to be a Seder every Shabbos, and you don't come and have it, even though it's after Chatzais, that's called Avelus Bifaresia. That's called that's called showing Avelus in such a public way on Shabbos. And that you can't do. So therefore, and, and it's the Kloisenberger's Psach that many people quote about doing, like I did this last Tisha B'Av, I did, the daf would have been all right to say on Tisha B'Av anyway. It was a very Avelus take a daf in Zvochim, all about Aninus and Avelus. But, but, but the Kloisenberger is the, is the Shavish of the Psach that if you have a regular daf Yemishir, even though it's Shabbos afternoon, that it would be Avelus Bifarhesia, it would be like openly saying Avelus if you didn't come and give that shear. So those are a couple of, of, of Gargarim, uh, from the Kleisenberger in terms of the, the, the significance really, and you see a little bit of his, uh, of, of his Abbas Ateira and how he, uh, connected that, uh, into Aloha. So, Ritz Hashem, again, I could, if you want, again, watch the video. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, and like I said, there's, there's, there's a lot here. Those of you that are, are, are who have the time and effort, please take a look at what I've attached here for the Torah of the Kloisenberger. And maybe that way, when we say it over in his name, we'll still be bound to him. Uh, you know, if there's any seven-year-old kids pushing you away, it doesn't make a difference. You can always bond to the Tata and to the to the always Sadeiris with intellectually. So he should be Yoga a New Jersey uh, super giant in that way. <laughs>